Hi, this is Mark Miller with OWASP 24-7. I'm here with Brian Fox, the CTO of Sonatype, and Matt Conda, board member of OWASP. And what we want to talk about quickly is the announcement that was made for Struts 2 that came out uh, about 24 hours ago. Welcome to OWASP 24-7, sponsored by the Open Web Application Security Project, improving the security of software. With support from the Nexus Community Project, supporting millions of open source developers worldwide. Additional support provided by CatScan from Proactive Risk. Brian, I'd like to start with you first from a technical perspective. What is the announcement and how is it affecting people? So yeah, there, there's actually two uh, announcements. One of them came out on Tuesday. Uh, the other one uh, we saw published first thing this morning. Um, so the first one um, is CE 2017-9805. And this is a remote code exploit attack that's possible through the REST plugin in Struts 2. Um, it it uh, follows a similar path to ones we've seen, um, you know, Commons Collections and others, which are unsafe deserialization that causes uh, the ability to remote uh, inject code to be executed. And so that was um, that was fixed. There's new releases you can update to. Um, if you're not using a REST plugin in Struts 2, you can also remove that. Um, but you definitely want to take a look at that if you're using a REST plugin in Struts 2. Um, the other vulnerability, um, we just uh, started doing the research early this morning, um, is CVE 2017-12611, uh, and this also affects Struts 2 remote code exploit, but this time using, um, if you pass data and you're using the free marker templates, um, attackers can inject uh, code to be executed directly into the free marker tag, so it's similar to the other one. Um, except instead of coming over REST, it, it comes in through the, the, the data that you're trying to templatize. And so there's a fix on that one as well. Um, you might want to take a look clo more closely at that because it, they, they've added some some checks that make it harder to exploit, but it, it seems like there might be some changes you need to make to your code to completely close that up. So you definitely want to take a look at that one. Thanks, Brian. Matt, uh, coming from you from an OWASP perspective, uh, is there things that you're looking at, things that OWASP in general uh, is going to be doing about this or announcing about this? Well, certainly we would want to amplify the message about this and any other uh, vulnerability that's likely to be widespread, and this is. Um, I think um, this type of vulnerability maps to A9 in our top 10 from 2013, so we have um, a way to sort of track and prioritize that is an important item for, for uh, folks who are following the WASP already. Um, I think it also is sort of an interesting technical case study in a case where, as Brian alluded to, we know that deserialization is dangerous in a lot of different cases, um, and it's just going to kind of keep coming. And so um, one of the things that, you know, we advise people is to have a 
not just the awareness of A9, but a process in place to support updating. Because often when, when items such as this come up, the solution is to update your libraries, right? And many organizations are not well positioned to do that. Um, they sort of choose a set of libraries and stick with them um, for a period of time. And so, um, you know, there's an importance of agility to be able to respond to this type of message. Um, I don't know, it's an interesting question, Mark. I, I don't know that we have a great channel for um, distributing this kind of update. And that, that's a great point, and other than you doing this, so I appreciate it. Um, you know, that's, that's, a, that's an opportunity, I think, right there. Great, thank you. Uh, both of you, this is going out to both of you. This, the Struts team itself is very, very responsive when these announcements come out. The real issue is people that are not updating on a regular basis. Can you agree with that or comment on that? Yeah, I agree that's completely true. The Apache security team and the Struts team specifically, um, you know, they, they have this, this path down pretty well, uh, unfortunately from experience, but they, they do a great job uh, of dealing with these zero days, um, you know, getting the fixes in place, uh, doing the reporting and, and all that type of stuff. But it is often the case that the consumers are not paying attention to these uh, vulnerabilities. And so what it, it, the pattern is always that, you know, somebody reports it, they do the work to fix it, they put it out there, they follow the responsible disclosure. And then within the days after the disclosure is when a lot of people start to be exploited because uh, there's a lot of um, a lot of attackers that that wait for those disclosures and then immediately move to um, to exploit it. And so you know, in many cases, those guys have the first mover advantage for companies that aren't agile enough, aren't paying attention to it. You know, and that, that's one of the problems that we've always been trying to solve with our, our systems to make sure that as soon as this stuff goes out there, um, our customers know about it, know where they're affected and can start to uh, triage accordingly. Yeah, I would definitely agree as well. Um, the stress team has responded um, consistently. Well, it's unfortunate that Struts has become somewhat of a counterexample of security in the sense that, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've demoed Metasploit getting remote access against the Struts vulnerability, and it's because um, they seem to keep happening. Um, but that being said, I do think the team has responded quite well. That's also something I would point out in this case, like there are publicly available exploits for this now. Um, so this is weaponized, um, which only means that people should move faster. <laughs> All three of us are members of OWASP. I would consider one of the largest security communities in the world. Matt, from your perspective, uh, it's an open question for us as advocates. How do we get the message out that this is something that needs to be taken care of? What can we do to spread the message? I think this is another case in this has been something that I've been working on throughout my tenure, but have had mixed results on, frankly. Um, I'd be the first to own that, which is that we have to get across the chasm to other communities. We need to reach the developer community that's using struts um, and other and other libraries that will have the same issue. It's not just struts, right? So um, I think our challenge here is to find a channel of communication where we can reach you know, well-meaning developers with advisories, essentially. Um, and, and maybe, 
I mean, I think there's, again, I said this earlier, I think there's an opportunity to sort of curate this list or, or sort of present a curated feed almost of, of things that matter, but we also have to establish that relationship, that um, plant into the community to be able to, to be a trusted resource for folks who are programming in Java or Scots or, or whichever language we're talking about. Right. Brian, I guess it goes to you too. As, as steward of the central repository, is there a methodology for getting word out for people that are using this? Can we tell who's using this? What's going on with that? Most of the usage from modern packaging systems is, is automated, so there isn't a human sitting there making a request. So, yeah, in some cases we can tell generically who's using it, but there's not a, a, a strict communication method. Um, you know, that's why we've had to build the products we've had to sort of. Right. Um, but no, I mean, it, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult thing when you're trying to produce a build system that can be automated and fetch the things that need to be done. Um, in some ways, you know, that ease of use leads people towards complacency and paying attention to um, the, the information about the various versions of the components. And, uh, you, you know, a lot of people adopt a, if it's not broke, don't fix it kind of approach to this. But they really just don't know it is broken, <laughs> you know, in the case of struts. And so whenever I speak at conferences, I always ask anybody using struts one, you know, and there's always one or two people who raise their hand. And, you know, it's it's what, like getting on like 13, 14 years now with like level 10 known remote code exploit in struts one. And um, invariably, I'm the first one to tell them about it. It's somewhat shocking. And they're always like, well, yeah, we're on it. It's really hard to move. But, you know, it just kind of works. It's like, well, yeah, it works. But you're also completely exploitable. Did you know that? Um, usually they freak out and start, you know, texting on the phone. Um, but it's an unfortunate situation. But I think, you know, in the past five or six years since we really started solving this this problem for our customers, I, I, there has been a shift in the market. People are generally more aware that this is a problem. In 2011, we'd talk to people and the answers would be some form of, um, you know, we're not using any open source, um, which was laughable um, just based on central statistics to uh we you know we we do static code analysis and so we're we're covered all of that is good um you know to we're, we don't care about that right and those, those types of conversations are pretty rare so i think the industry has moved along um unfortunately it takes repeated things like struts like shell shock like heartbleed for people to really start paying attention that hey wait you know these these components that i'm using have liability too it's not just the stuff my developers um you know, write themselves. So, that's Brian, a Brian, one of the questions that you and I get consistently when something like this happens is, well, why are we leaving the exposed versions inside Central? Why don't we just delete them from Central? Well, um, th there's a number of reasons. First of all, it's a lot of these exploits are in the eye of the beholder. You know, um, there are safe ways sometimes to use these. So, us being the the judge, jury, and executioner for the entire world of Java probably wouldn't go over well. Um, you know, it's a little bit like burning books. Um, and so, you know, if we just evicted these things from the repository because there was a vulnerability, we'd be breaking literally millions of builds around the world without any notice. And that's really not going to put people in the right frame of mind to actually look at the problem um, and fix it. So, so yeah, it's, it's for those two reasons. And, you know, the central repository is intended to be an immutable repository of things. Now, if there was a case of something that was maliciously 
you know, injected into this and there was no good reason, we would, of course, do something. But that is so far never been the case. Right. So these these vulnerabilities often come down to how you're using them. So that's why. Matt, one of the things, too, that it, it helps here, and I've had discussions with other OWASP members on this, is there can be a relationship between commercial tools and OWASP. And, and you know, they go hand in hand in a sense. So that in this case, um, I'd like to be able to consider what is the relationship between OWASP and the use of commercial tools in situations like this? Is there any kind of policy or statement or, or relationship there? Well, I mean, OWASP is not, our, our, our primary motivation in this kind of context is to not be a commercial or not to be explicitly commercial or not to support you know, one entity over another. I think our mission is to um, improve application security and spread knowledge about application security. I don't think there's any part of that that says, you know, you should or should not use a commercial tool. Um, certainly some of our membership have different opinions and, you know, frankly, a lot of the open source work that we do, um, you know, turns out to be seeds for ideas for tools that become more serious, but, um, and, and some of them are very serious, like Zap, but, I think um, I don't think there's any conflict between saying we're a radically open organization and you know people who are really going to protect themselves from A9 may want to have some kind of specific tooling in mind, whether that's you know something that you know is open and a little rough around the edges, like glue and dependency check, or whether that's something that's you know cleaner and more integrated, like Sonotype, right? Like I'm not going to stand here and say you should use one or the other. Um, I think that the more important thing is that people should address the um, the gap, right, and, and and be aware of the gap. And if we can promote awareness of that, that's the most important thing, not so much which solution people choose to, to adopt. I like that. I like the idea that we're just trying to close the gap and we're trying to protect the most amount of people. Trying to raise the bar. I mean, I talked to Jeremy Long, the author of the dependency check tool, right? Because we were we were looking at how we can work together on some things, and um, you know, he he will readily admit that it's not the end all be all, but he, he sort of wanted to create something because he felt that there was a minimum standard that even if even if you're you know getting a report that has potential false positives or something, it's still better than doing nothing, right? And and so in some ways, you know, I think the quote was, you know, you're negligent if you're not even doing this. But if you want to take it seriously, then you need to get a commercial tool and take it to the next level. And I think OWASP really helps with that because it sets a lot of the best best practices and standards and, and gives some places for people to get at least an assessment of, is this a real problem? Does this actually affect me? I mean, we know it affects pretty much everybody, but there's always that sort of initial you know, that, that, that's not my problem kind of response and free tools that help people uh, understand the magnitude um, helps the entire industry. Yeah, and a lot of times it makes it easier for people to adopt things, that, uh, you know, almost as a ramp up or as a, you know, gateway into doing things more seriously to whether this piece works in their, in their dev cycle, right? Um, Mark, can I make one other, just one other point here, which is totally sure. not to A9, actually? I mean, in terms of thinking about how OWASP could help in this kind of situation, I look at this vulnerability and it exposes a whole number of sort of security principles that I think OWASP is promoting and that we could 
but, but they're harder to communicate, right? So the nice thing about the top 10 is it's very specific. We can say, this is it, right? We know what A9 is. We can put it in a box and explain it, right? Um, I'm looking at this vulnerability and things like turning off XML for your REST API would have prevented this, this vulnerability from being actually exposed, right? But a lot of people, you know, will turn on their API and just let everything be open because, you know, they're not thinking about reducing their attack surface, right? Which is a principle that applies in general. Similarly, right, if you're going to let them, somebody use XML um, through your REST service and you're using this handler, right, you can control which classes get deserialized. So you can still control it, right? And what we really, I think, as a community need to figure out how to do is to communicate both at the sort of blocking and tackling big picture view of like, let's update our libraries, but also be ready to get into the more detailed discussion about the specific fixes and options so that developers are, are given, you know, ways to, to do what they're doing securely and positively as opposed to being told, don't do this. You know what I'm saying? Because um, there's a lot of detail behind this vulnerability that, that is not just update. Right, there's, there's a whole class of problems like this one, or at least the first one, could be fixed by whitelisting or deserialization, right, which is something we've all talked about forever. People tend not to do it, um, and so it can protect you against these vulnerabilities and the ones that we don't know about yet. Exactly. Um, but in some ways, it sort of runs counter to this desire of development to think ahead and plan ahead and try to provide flexibility down the road. It's that exact flexibility that often ends up being exploitable in all these cases. So, um, yeah, it's it's in some ways inevitable that this happens. I think what I'd like to do is end this with, I'll start with you first, Brian. Is there any cherry pick that anybody can do right now to help them get through this current situation? Well, certainly, like I said, that first one, the REST one, um, if you're not using REST and it's in your application, rip it out. You don't need it, right? So um, can't exploit code that's not there. Um, the second one, you got to take a look at the advisory. There's some changes you can make to your config. So uh, in both cases, an upgrade is available, but um, I think in both cases, there are workarounds that you can do right away that are potentially less um, intrusive than an, than an immediate upgrade. Great. Thank you, Matt. Brian, do you have a sense, so, so speaking as a developer who has often not updated libraries myself, um, I can say that the reason that I don't do that is because I'm worried about incompatibilities when I, when I upgrade, right? Um, something that would be interesting would be to know, do we know if the upgrades for these two vulnerabilities introduce broader changes that would be potentially breaking for APIs or people who are using them, or is it generally pretty light? I believe there were patch releases. In fact, the one that came out on Tuesday actually fixed two other vulnerabilities that were slightly lower, but you know, if they affect you, it's still, still, still serious. Mm -hmm. um, but I believe they were mostly just uh, bug fixes for these particular things. And so, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the fear of upgrading is real, but it doesn't get better by ignoring it because you know, if, you're, if you're still on struts one, then what, you're, you're totally hosed at this point, right? Or if you're on a very old version of Struts 2, then you don't have the option to get one of these patches because they're only patching you know, the 2.3 and the 2.5 branches. So if you're on 2.2 or 2.1, then now you're looking at a pretty significant major upgrade. So it's, it's like any other tech debt thing, right? There's a legitimate fear. Um, don't, don't fix things if they're not broke, but if you wait too long, you know, you're, you're uh, 
not just fixing the water leak, you're fixing the floor too, right? So, right. It looks like it looks to me like for this for the rest one especially that they're because of the they basically introduce restrictions on what will be deserialized as a default, and so that could theoretically break applications if you update that, Potentially. right? If you don't then specify that your classes are allowed to be deserialized. So, I mean that's like one of those interesting ones where you can upgrade the library, but you probably have to look at your config and retest. And there's like there's always there's always devils in the details, right? I think both both of these new vulnerabilities we've been talking about kind of have elements of that in play, um, and it, it it speaks to, you know, the, some of that future power and the power behind the orthogonal language and all that allows for this flexibility in some ways. You know, you're trying to walk a razor's edge of allowing flexibility, but not not the the kind of flexibility you would in, intend for, and that's what we seem to constantly be battling with these things. Right. The other thing I would like to say is. In this kind of context, so a problem I've seen is where a developer wants to upgrade one library, but it's been it's either so old that it's a major change, or um, it's dependent on other libraries, and so it becomes harder and harder in some cases to upgrade. So this is the kind of situation where I tell people if you're if you have really good hygiene, you're in a much better place now because you can just look at this change and just upgrade this. But if you don't ever update and then you finally get to this, or, or you try to do this all in one batch, you have not just these changes, but the changes for each release between them and there. And, and that can be even more work to reconcile. So I usually tell people, you know, you should have a program where you're figuring out, you're updating periodically, sort of no matter what, because otherwise it's going to be hard to adopt a new change. Yeah, it, for an organization, if you back up one step level, it's actually worse. Um, many organizations don't even know if they're affected, where they're affected, which applications, what they do, um, because they don't have an application inventory and a bill of materials. It's one of those things that, that we solve, but it's a challenge even just, you know, getting that together because people just don't know what they have. And the last time there was a big uh, struts vulnerable, actually, it was the Commons Collections one a couple of years ago. I was talking to a large bank and they told me it took four people um, three months total, so a man year, to just merely go around the bank and assess which applications were vulnerable. That did not include any actual remediation time. It was just producing a list of where to start. Wow. Um, and so, you know, we've been talking a lot about what happens for a developer, whether they update or not. But if you're a, a manager of thousands or tens of thousands of applications, you, you've got no chance unless you have an automated system that can help you with that. Matt, I think I'll give you the final word here as an OWASP bro uh, uh, broadcast here. Is there anything that we can do to help the community uh, to finalize this thing here? I think you doing this podcast is, is great as far as spreading the word. And then I think we, um, I think you're nudging us and I think that's good. I think we can um, uh, publicize information about it through our social media and things like that. I don't know, again, I think that community building with the developers is kind of the crux of succeeding, and I don't think we can do that overnight. I think that's a that's a long-term effort. Great, thank you, Matt. I appreciate it. Brian, same to you. Thank you for taking the time out. We'll get this out right away and see what we can do to get the message out. This is Mark Miller with OWASP 24-7. I've been talking to Brian Fox, CTO of Sonatype and with Matt Conda, board member of OWASP. And we'll get back to you soon if we get more news. Thank you both.
have been listening to OWASP 24-7 with your host Mark Miller and music provided by the George Cole Quintet. With support from the Nexus Community Project, supporting millions of open source developers worldwide. Additional support provided by CatScan from Proactive Risk. <laughs>